my name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and it's a joy to be with you, uh, along with Reagan. And we're just glad that you're with us. And we hope that, if nothing else this morning, that you walk away knowing that at Lover's Lane, our mission statement is loving all people in relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that that is made clear to you both in word and in action. So we are continuing our series this morning for the month of August called A New Thing. And we've been talking about how God is doing a new thing here at Lover's Lane as we kind of vision for what this year is going to hold for us as a church and how God's also doing a new thing in each of us as individual uh, followers of Jesus. And, and we've been talking about this in the context of our values that we name here at Lover's Lane of worship, learn, engage, and share. We've talked about worshiping and engaging. We talked about engaging our community and world last week. Uh, today we're going to talk about learning because it's back to school Sunday. And uh, we're going to talk about the value of learning. And I, th I think it's important that we talk about this because I think so often uh, people of faith get um, uh, characterized as being rigid or, or being stuck in the mud or being, let's be honest, even arrogant in what we believe we know to be true. Um, and I think it's important that as people of faith that we value learning. And as a church at Lover's Lane, we believe that, that learning is valuable, that we should engage God with our minds. And so let's talk about that today because I actually think that our faith could inspire us and should inspire us to be learners. So I want us to wrestle with this question today and to work with, within this question today of how can faith inspire us to learn a new thing? How can faith inspire us to learn a new thing? Maybe you're not going back to school uh, this season. Maybe you haven't gone back to school for a long, long time, and you're saying hallelujah for that. But uh, we are all called to be learners. And to help us in this conversation today, we're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or in your Bible apps, or you can see it on the screen. It's Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 1. This is the story of Jesus uh, and his encounter with a man named Nicodemus. And, and I want to assume nothing this morning about what you know. Maybe this is your first Sunday in church ever. The Gospel of John is one of four Gospels in our New Testament. The Gospels are the retelling of the life and ministry of Jesus. And the Gospel of John is the very last one written. It was written sometime in the year 90, uh, the original 90s, not the Clinton years. And um, uh, that joke's so bad. I tell it every time and it never gets a laugh. Um, but I'm powering through, so one day it'll be funny. Um, <laughs> I love bombing jokes. I don't know why. It's just a, it's just a hobby of mine. So um, written in the 90s, and uh, you know, John's gospel is radically different than the other three. If you read through the New Testament, you'll read the other three gospels first. You'll get to John, and it's, it's almost like an entirely different story. He has a totally different lens with which he, he tells the story of Jesus, and it's all about these signs and these wonders. It's a very spiritual gospel. Um, and it also is where we find one of the absolute mountaintop moments in Scripture, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that all who believed in him would not perish but would have eternal life. One of the most famous scriptures ever, made famous by Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? Um, <laughs> no, but one of the most famous scriptures in all of the Bible. And that, that, that teaching actually appears in this story of Nicodemus. But I don't want us to get distracted by just one line of this story because it's really Nicodemus, uh, the person, the man, the, his story as a, as a character in, in our Bible that I want us to focus in on today because Nicodemus is a man who is open to learning a new thing. So with all of that in mind, um, let's pray over our text this morning and invite the Holy Spirit uh, to make it come alive for us today. Gracious God, we give you thanks today. We give you thanks for the gift of Scripture 
We give you thanks for the gift of learning. We give you thanks for the gift of our minds and that you ask us to pursue you not only with our hearts, but also with our minds, with our souls, and with our hands and with our feet. So God, this morning as we prepare to learn a new thing, and we talk about our faith inspiring us to be learners, God, would you allow these words to leap off of the screens and off of our Bibles and into our hearts that it might change the way that we live so that we could pursue you hungry to learn more all our lives long. In your sons' name we pray, amen. I'm ditching the jacket. I'm in big boy church today, but uh, I'll be honest, it's hot. So I'm going to go with the uh, politician at the town hall look right now. Uh, we're in that season, right? So um, let's begin. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. We're going to talk about more about who Pharisees were and who Nicodemus was in just a sec. It says, He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? And Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? Jesus answered, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? A little bit of a side-eye from Jesus. He says, I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the human one or the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Word of God for the people of God, let us say. Thanks be to God. So let's talk for a moment about who Nicodemus is because, again, I want us to focus on the character of Nicodemus today. I think he has a lot to teach us. Nicodemus, it says he was a Pharisee. We'll talk about that in just a second. But it says he was a leader among Pharisees. So we can imagine that Nicodemus is an older man, 60 years or more, right? Um, he, he was trained to be a Pharisee. Let's talk about who those guys are. We talk about Pharisees a lot in church. And again, maybe this is your first Sunday in church. Or maybe you've been coming for a long time and you're like, Scott, I honestly don't know what Pharisees are. You know? And that's okay. Uh, today's all about learning. And so um, Pharisees, they, it was the sect of Jews um, that came about and Scholars aren't entirely sure when, but the ballpark estimate is somewhere around the 3rd century BCE, so a couple hundred years before Jesus arrives. There's this sect of Jews called Pharisees that, that are formed, and they're formed really in a response 
to the Hellenization or the um, influence of the Greek culture that the, that the Greek empire was having on the Jewish people. The Jewish people were very uh, proud of their heritage and their identity and their traditions. And so as that Greek culture begins to influence them and begins to influence their people, this group of, of Jews form this sect called the Pharisees, and their job is to be a response to that cultural influence, to be defenders of their faith and their culture and their identity. And so um, a lot of times we talk about Pharisees as sort of one-note bad guys in the Bible, and that's not entirely fair because uh, there's a lot of good to what the Pharisees attempt to do. They, they are intellectual. They're intelligent people. They, they value studying the scriptures and taking study very seriously. They are um, very keen on understanding the law, although they understand it in, in a way that, that, that is not how Jesus would lead us. Um, they, they are defenders of this rich tradition. They value who they've been for so long and the story they've carried with them for generation upon generation. So it's a little unfair to just just say, oh, these were just bad guys. They were, they were humans with, I'm sure, good intentions. But what happens is this, these defenders of the faith become a little overzealous when it comes to their understanding of Scripture and their understanding of the law, and they become very rigid and very set in their ways. And if you don't follow the rules that they have, then, then you have no place in the Jewish community. And they grow in power. Because you can imagine, as the, as the Jewish people are living under this oppressive rule, if you've got this group of Jews that are saying, hey, let's, let's defend who we are, and, and let's defend this, you know, this incoming influence from this oppressive empire, you know, you're thinking, hey, it's a pretty good idea. We should listen to these guys. And so that's who Nicodemus is. He's one of these Pharisees and a leader among them. So he had been raised from an early age to see the world from a very specific point of view. And it was a point of view, a worldview that had gotten narrower and more rigid over the years. And now Nicodemus is, is not only trained in this way of seeing the world, he's a leader amongst these men. He's a, he's a professor. He, he's, he's teaching this to other people, and he's held in esteem amongst the Pharisees. Nicodemus is an intelligent guy. He knows scripture forwards and backwards, and he understands a lot of the concepts that Jesus is talking about, and we'll, we'll address that in a second. Um, he knows and speaks the language that Jesus is speaking, but Jesus is presenting these things in a radically new way. He's, in a way, using what Nicodemus knows in a different way to challenge him. So, as I began to think about Nicodemus this week, and I thought about the fact that here's this 60-plus-year-old guy who is trained to see the world a very specific way, who has never known anything else, who's a leader amongst these, these Pharisees who, who believes so fervently in the way that he understands the world, and yet he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, this 30-year-old kid in his eyes, and he says, Rabbi, teacher, teach me something. As I thought about this, as I thought about who Nicodemus was, you know, when I, when I talk to God, it, it, so often we go to God looking for answers, but my God speaks to me in questions. Does God ever speak to you in questions? And I'll get these questions that I know that God's just not letting me get away from. And the question that I, that one of the questions I felt God, you know, speaking to me this week was, Scott, if Nicodemus can learn a new thing, what's your excuse? Right? Nicodemus has every excuse to write Jesus off. 
He has every excuse not to listen to what he has to say. But he actually seeks him out. He wants to learn, even though he's this older man who's learned, who knows exactly how he's supposed to see the world, who should be set in his ways, and yet he's willing to learn something new. So, Scott, what's your excuse? And so, church, this morning I ask us the same question. If Nicodemus can learn a new thing, what's our excuse? So what is this new thing that Nicodemus is learning? Jesus starts talking to him about being born again. And, uh, you know, we nod our heads today. If you've been raised in the church or if you've gone to church for any length of time, this language is familiar to you, right? Born again. We, we know this stuff. We nod our heads. But, um, you know, you, you might think that Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. But that's not entirely true. In fact, Nicodemus would have understood the language of being born again just in a very different way. The Jewish people believed that uh, in order to become a Jew, you did have to be born again. Um, But they believed that in a a very physical uh, kind of way, not a spiritual way that Jesus is talking about. To be born again into the Jewish faith, because again, the Jewish faith was all about family inheritance and being a part of the family of God. And that was a lineage from Abraham. So to be born again into this family, this right family, you had to be baptized. That part they agree. But then the, the Pharisees would say you had to be circumcised. You know, uh, uh, you had to be circumcised. Every man in the household had to be circumcised, and this was this was a, a marking that had that had been a part of the covenant from the days of Abraham, and it was a way of marking and making a sign that these are God's chosen people. And so Nicodemus is hearing him talk about being born again. He's going, okay, okay. But then Jesus is talking about water and the Spirit, and he's saying, what? You talking about the Spirit? That's not going to get you in. You've got to have this physical covenant. You've got to have this circumcision thing. Jesus is emphasizing the spirit because it's expanding the way that Nicodemus understands his faith. The word for spirit is not just, um, the word for spirit in Hebrew and Greek is the word for wind. And so the the two go hand in hand. And maybe when you visualize the spirit in your head, you think of of a wind. But that's how Jesus is talking about the spirit. He's using that word for spirit that's also wind. And he's saying, you know, just like the wind can't be controlled, right? You can harness the power of wind for a while, but you can't bottle it up. That's not how wind works. Wind goes where it wants to. It doesn't care about boundaries or borders. It, it, it It blows on everybody and everything. The wind is not restrained by us. He's saying that's the way that God's spirit works. That's the way that inclusion in this new family works. It's bigger, it's broader, it's wilder, it's less controllable than you think it is. Here's something else that's interesting. When Jesus says the word you as he's teaching Nicodemus, when he says the word you, you know, it's too bad we don't have more Texans translating the Bible. Uh, because the word you that he's using there is actually a plural you. It might not sound like that. You might think he's just talking to Nicodemus, but he's really saying y'all, right? And I wish we had more Texans to translate the Bible so we could get that in there. Because y'all is the perfectly perfect word for what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, y'all need to understand that you got to be born again. Y'all, 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 y'all. He's not just talking to Nicodemus. He's talking really to the Pharisees through Nicodemus. He's not, he's not challenging Nicodemus the individual. He's challenging Nicodemus' mindset his ideology, his worldview. He's saying, y'all, you Pharisees, this, this narrow-mindedness, this rigid, this, this so in love with tradition, you can't see a possibility in the future. This, this, this way of seeing the world, you're going to have to reconsider. Because for Jesus, the love of God is so much broader, so much grander, so much greater than the kind of love the Pharisees are uplifting. 
we get to this mountaintop teaching in 16 and 17. You know, and, and we might hear Jesus say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And, and we might nod and say, amen. Oh, that's so good. But if we put ourselves in Nicodemus' shoes and we sit where he's sitting, imagine being Nicodemus and hearing Jesus say, God so loved the world. That's a big statement. We shouldn't miss that. See, if you're a Pharisee, you believe that God loves the Israelites, the Jewish people. This is God's family. We are the chosen people. Anybody who wants to be blessed has to go through us, right? And, and who's the enemy if you're living in Israel at this time? Who's the enemy if you're a Pharisee like Nicodemus? The enemy is the world. It's this pressure. It's this oppression. It's this empire that's trying to snuff us out, that's trying to turn us into something that we're not. And you're telling me that God loves the world? <laughs> what? I don't know if I can follow you there, Jesus. But he keeps going. He says, so that everyone, everyone who believes, not everyone who goes through circumcision, yes, everyone who believes, you can't control that. You can't put that in a box. Everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. And then Jesus isn't done. He keeps going. He says, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, or other translations say to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And again, we might be thinking, oh, man, isn't that powerful? Isn't that great? But I guarantee you Nicodemus' jaw is on the floor and his mind is exploding because this is so radically against what he's been raised to see and to believe and to teach. It reminds me so often, you know, it's easy to, to point our fingers at the Pharisees and go, man, I can't believe... Those guys never understood it. I can't believe they would attack Jesus like that. But, you know, I think about in my own life of faith, one thing that makes me a Christian and one thing that keeps me a follower of Jesus is that Jesus challenges me like he challenges Nicodemus. There are times in my life when Jesus has called me to love someone that I didn't want to love or to have grace for someone I did not want to have grace for or to forgive someone I did not want to forgive. Has God ever inspired you? Has Jesus ever led you to love somebody that you weren't sure you wanted to love? Or to have grace for someone you didn't want to have grace for? Or to include someone you didn't want to include? Students in the room, has God ever asked you to pull up a seat at the table for someone you weren't too sure about? Or to walk across the room and say hello to someone that you didn't think you wanted to? See, the thing that, that keeps me following Jesus is that I need a faith in my life that just doesn't just regurgitate Scott back at me, right? We live in a time where it's really easy just to live in this sort of bubble and to live in a, a sea of confirmation bias and have everybody tell us that we're always right about everything always. And the last thing I need is for God to just fit into my box and to fit into my image. And when I read the story of Nicodemus, it reminds me that every time I try to stick God into a box, it's like trying to capture the wind, it doesn't work. God busts out. God reveals something new. God shares love in a new way. God points me to someone that I did not expect. And I'm so thankful to have a relationship with a God like that. And so I, I've said this before in here, but I, I think it's worth and bears repeating. Our faith should change the way that we live. We should look at our lives, look at our minds, look at our hearts, look at our actions. And we should be able to identify how those things are different because of our faith in Jesus. 
Otherwise, what's the point? If all we're doing is just putting Jesus into our box and we're not allowing Jesus to lead, guide, and direct us in our hearts and our minds and our hands and our feet, what's the point? So this week I had another question come into my mind. I heard God, honestly, it's annoying, you know, when he doesn't let those questions go. He says, Scott, when's the last time that Jesus changed your mind? When is the last time that Jesus changed your mind? We're about to go into a whole new, aren't y'all so pumped at the new election season? Oh my gosh. Here we go. We're about to enter into a season where it's going to be very easy to just grab all the ammunition you can and just double and triple and quadruple down into what you think and believe and to just go into attack mode. But the Jesus that I follow challenges us to reconsider what we think we know and to look at life as an ongoing conversation and to allow the spirit to breathe on everybody and to recognize God's presence in everybody. So I look at Nicodemus, and here's the interesting thing about this story. Jesus continues teaching for a little bit longer, but then it just ends. Nicodemus doesn't say another word. It doesn't say uh, Nicodemus believed all these things as he left. Could have said that. Gospel says that at times in different stories about people encountering Jesus. Or will say they left believing all that they had heard. It doesn't say that. Uh, it could have said, you know, Nicodemus fell on his knees and said, you know, Lord, Lord, I want to be your disciple. It doesn't say that. Okay. It ends and, and, and it's just done. Nicodemus doesn't say anything. The, the scene just ends. We can assume that Nicodemus was, I guess, speechless. And may, maybe he left just quiet. Maybe he left convicted. Maybe he left sad. Maybe he left challenged. But he, he just left. But that's not the end of his story. Nicodemus appears in the Gospel of John three different times. The first time is when he is taught by Jesus. The second time is later in chapter 7 when Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin. That's like this council of Pharisees that were there to judge Jesus. They were um, understandably not very excited with the kind of faith that Jesus was teaching and preaching and the love that he was about. And so Jesus gets brought before the Sanhedrin, and they're kind of running this you know, uh, circus of a trial. Jesus is not able to actually defend himself, and it's Nicodemus, it tells us that stops them and says, you need to let Jesus defend himself. This is not a fair trial. Now, it's interesting. Number one, it tells us that Nicodemus really was a leader amongst the Pharisees because he could stop down the Sanhedrin, right? That's like busting into the Supreme Court and saying, hold it, right? Not many people can do that, right? Um, So number one, it tells us that about him. Number two, again, it doesn't say Nicodemus said, stop, this man is the Messiah. You need to hear what he has to say. It doesn't say that Nicodemus said, stop, I believe what he's all about. You need to follow him like I do. All it says is Nicodemus said, stop, this isn't fair. Let him defend himself. So even still, we don't get this sense that Nicodemus is this incredible follower of Jesus. Even still, we're not sure what he thinks of Jesus and his teaching. He's just kind of this cautious defender of Jesus' right to speak. He's, he's kind of curious as to what he'll say. But even that's not the end of Nicodemus' story. The third time he appears in the Gospel of John is towards the very end in chapter 19. And this is after the crucifixion. And in all four of the Gospels, there's this man named Joseph of Arimathea who his job was to bury Jesus. That's why he's known. That's why there's a Wikipedia page about him today. Uh, Isn't that bizarre? If you're Joseph of Arimathea, one day I'll be on Wikipedia. Um, uh, He's known because he was the one who buried Jesus. But in the Gospel of John, there's another man who helps him bury Jesus. Would you like to know who that was? Nicodemus. 
In case we were wondering how Jesus' teaching finally resolved itself in Nicodemus' heart, it tells us that Nicodemus joined Joseph of Arimathea to bury Jesus, but not just that. It tells us that Nicodemus brought with him 100 pounds. That's Roman pounds. Today, it'd be about 75 pounds by our measure of fragrances and oils. 75 pounds of fragrances and oils that he was going to use to bury Jesus. Does that sound like a large amount of fragrances and oils to you? Yes? 75 pounds. Pounds. That tells us two things about Nicodemus. One, he's flush with cash. That's a lot of fragrances and oils. But number two, that's the kind of burial you would offer a king, and only a king. The Gospel of John wants us to know, in case we had any doubts about where Nicodemus stood with Jesus, is that by the end of Jesus' life, Nicodemus is offering him the burial of a king. He's not just a rabbi that he visits in the night, that says some wild stuff. He is Nicodemus's Lord. There's a lot of grace in that for me. So I think so often I'll read the Bible and I'll read these stories about people's encounters with Jesus and it'll say like, and they immediately believed or they immediately came to faith or they just picked up and followed him and they were a disciple like that. And, and I look at my life and I go, man, I just, I don't know that I have that kind of a track record with Jesus. There's so many times that Jesus will encounter me and I'll think, hmm, I'm not sure what to think about that. And then like three years later, I'll go, yep, I'm on board, right? And, and Nicodemus to me is a word of grace because here's this man, not only the fact that he's older and he's got the ability to learn even in his old age and that reminds me to never get too rigid but here's this man who took his time processing the teaching of Jesus here's this man who took his time coming to understand who Jesus was he wasn't just going to leap up and say okay I believe he chewed on it and he sat with it and he let it work on him and his soul and his spirit but man when he made that decision did he ever make a decision 75 pounds of fragrances and oils What we see in the Gospel of John is Nicodemus' transformation from a willing listener to a curious defender to a humble servant as Jesus' teaching works quietly in the background of Nicodemus' life. And so maybe you'll hear things or you'll encounter Jesus and it takes you a while. I would say in the image of Nicodemus, sometimes that's a very good thing. Better to take your time and to know that you're ready to follow and be ready to anoint Jesus with a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe than to just leap up and say, I believe, but to not know what you mean. So as I thought about Nicodemus this week and I thought about his character, uh, it's back to school Sunday. I, 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 I started thinking about what quality in him do I really appreciate? And this word came to mind that is not normally a good word to call somebody the word soft. I thought Nicodemus is soft. And when we call someone soft, that's not a compliment, right? Like when you say, oh man, so-and-so's soft, that means that they're not very tough, they're kind of weak-willed, uh, they're easily defeated, whatever. They're mushy, whatever, right? They're soft. But see, I think Nicodemus is soft in a really good way. And what I mean by that is I was thinking about that this week, and I thought about Plato. Because it's back to school Sunday, right? And who doesn't like Play-Doh? I mean, you could put Play-Doh in front of a three-year-old or a 93-year-old, and they're going to have fun. If you don't like Play-Doh, I'm not so sure there's any hope for you, to be honest. You might not like Jesus. I mean, Play-Doh is just pure fun. Jesus is a whole lot harder to like than Play-Doh, right? And um, 
started thinking about this stuff, and, and what makes Play-Doh so fun? Well, it, it, it's soft. You can squeeze it in your hands. It's almost like a stress reliever, but you can mold it and shape it to anything you want. And when I was a kid, I don't know why, but I would always just go to snakes because I guess it's super easy. You don't have to work too hard. Andy's always like, Dad, make me something. I'm like, do you want a snake? Great. And she's like, no. I'm like, great. Then now I can make you a snail. And you either get snakes or snails. That's, that's what you get with me, snakes and snails. <laughs> But Play-Doh's fun. We get to shape it and mold it into anything we want. That's what makes it fun. That's what gives it its joy. But were you ever a kid and you'd go to play with your Play-Doh? You'd take the cap off and you realize you hadn't put it down all the way the night before. And what happened? You know, I made this one last night out of Andy's Play-Doh. It's her pink glitter Play-Doh. She'll never forgive me. I let it dry out. I mean, here's this little guy that I made. And if I try to go and shape him out... After he sat out all night, trying to reform him, I, I know, it's so sad. <laughs> little, 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 little glitter guy is, is a crumbly mess. And I, no matter how hard I try, I'll never be able to make something really new out of this. It's just kind of this broken, crumbly mess. What is it about this Play-Doh that makes it this way? What, what happened to it when I left it out overnight? It dried out, right? It's not a trick question. It dried out. What gives Plato its ability to be molded and shaped is its moisture. And if you let it dry out, it gets rigid and crumbly and, quite honestly, just not that much fun. There's a reason, I think, when Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, he couches that teaching in his conversation about being baptized in the water and in the spirit. Because I think Jesus knows that there's something about moisture that keeps us moldable and shapeable. There's something about getting dried out that makes us rigid and crumbly and honestly not that much fun. And so as we think about our own lives this week and as we leave this place and we aspire to be learners, I, I want to say to us that, that Jesus teaches us about baptism by water and the Spirit. And he says this, these things to Nicodemus because Jesus knows that the baptized life is a life of learning. The baptized life is a life of learning. It's a life of being soft in a good way. Today, when you walked in, hopefully you were handed, or when you sat down, you saw one of these little cards. They say a new thing on one side. On the back side, it's got a list of, of things that you can see, different responses that you can have to God's work in your life. We're talking about celebrating a new thing this month in Lover's Lane, not just as a Christian community, but as individuals. And I want to say this week that, that one of the responses we can have, and maybe the response that you have this week is you fill out this card and you turn it in today during our offering time because either A, you want to be baptized for the very first time or maybe you've been baptized before and you want to remember your baptism. You know, in the Methodist church, we remember baptism. It's a way of getting back in the waters or allowing the waters to be sprinkled or poured on our heads again to remember the work of God in our lives, to allow ourselves to be refreshed, to be turned from this dry, crumbly, not-so-much-fun stuff into this really workable, shapeable stuff by God. And so I want to encourage, I want to challenge us to consider if maybe that's what God's calling us to this week, that next week as a church community, as we prepare to baptize and remember our baptisms, some may join as members of this church. I bet there are several people in here today that, that need to remember their baptisms, that need to remember what it's like to be shaped and molded by God, that need to say yes to walking with Jesus in a more committed way. So I'd encourage you to fill that out. And there's several other ways that you can respond to God as well. Maybe that's not you, but maybe you want to commit to a greater 
attendance and worship or to engaging in service or to learning more by involvement through small groups or, or to give more of yourself generously or, or to share the love of God with someone that you know that needs God's love in their life. Here's what I do know. We get this way by water and the Spirit, not by ourselves. So this week, may we be like Nicodemus. May we be soft in a really good way. May we allow the water and the Spirit to work on ourselves so that we could be teachable, moldable, shapeable by God, following Jesus as our teacher and our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your work in our lives. We give you thanks for Plato. We give you thanks for Nicodemus. God, this week, let us go from this place and consider how we can continue to learn about you and to learn from your example. Allow ourselves to be led by you, kept alive by water and the Spirit. Keep us from drying out, O oh God. Make us teachable. Keep us following in your love.